Stephen Nathan, it's our last chat of the year. In fact, uh, tomorrow is the final broadcast of the Biz News Power Hour. Um, it's only right. You know, we all have to have a holiday sometime. Uh, looking back on this year, Stephen, it's been an extraordinary year for many people. But for yourself, what have you been up to? I think, did you start the year as the CEO of 10X? Well, I actually um, uh, left 10X at the end of last year. So given that it was the kind of the Christmas break, I'm not exactly sure myself whether it was in December or in January, uh, but effective uh, yeah, 31 December uh, 2020, I was no longer involved in 10X uh, uh, in any capacity. So you've been on gardening leave for the whole of 2021, which is really, I know you have moved house, uh, but have you done a lot of reading? How have you applied your, your this time? Yeah, I have. I have done a lot of reading. I think... You know, what's interesting is that when you've got a lot of time, uh, you've got to be careful that you don't waste it. Um, you know, part of me wanted to to do the kind of, I guess, things that I would previously think of as frivolous, you know, taking my kids to maybe the afternoon uh, uh, extramural activity, uh, you know, doing those kind of things where, you know, when you're sort of busy uh, in business, uh, you kind of uh, put a... you you almost put a value on your time and you kind of go, well, you know, should I really be, you know, doing something that's quite frivolous or perceived to be frivolous? Uh, but really, I think that uh, if you have the opportunity of spending time with uh, certainly with your children, your family uh, and doing those kind of things and being there for other people. So that was quite a big adjustment uh, to actually kind of say, well, you know, just be yourself uh, and, uh, you know, spend time with loved ones doing things, as I say, that, uh, you know, that I, that I haven't done in the last you know, 25 years. Um, and then, and then with the other, you know, with the rest of the time, uh, you know, there, I think, uh, that comment I made where you've got to be careful, uh, that you don't waste it. You know, there's that, that, that saying, if you want something done, give it to the busiest person, you know, <laughs> and there's a reason because they, you know, they're very well disciplined and structured. Uh, so I think I did fall a little bit into the trap where I probably wasn't as productive as I should have been. Uh, but, uh, but I've done a lot of reading, uh, and I've also been engaging with a lot of people, you know, when I was at 10X as an example, you know, we, we, we were very much a direct-to-consumer business and we weren't sort of engaging much with the uh, in, independent uh, financial advisor community. And what I've been doing this year is actually engaging a lot with the independent financial advisors. And initially, I thought I would get a bit of a hostile reception, uh, you know, 10X being more of a direct model uh, and, uh, you know, highlighting uh, some of what we believe is the, the, the poor practices within the financial services industry, uh, not that financial advice per se is a poor practice, but a lot of the upfront commissions and, you know, the heavy selling, the, the, the kind of selling rather than advising and rather than acting in the client's best interests. But very pleasantly, uh, the reception I got from the vast majority of the IFA community was really positive. And that, you know, that's encouraged me because I think that, uh, you know, financial advisors also recognize that a lot of the products and the fee structures and the complexity, you know, is not in their client's best interests. But they can only sell what the big companies are providing and supporting them. Uh, so I think there's quite an interesting opportunity for that. So I've been doing a lot of that. I've, I've also more recently uh, trying to understand a bit of the blockchain environment, uh, which is quite, quite fascinating. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it's kind of one of those where I'm a bit of a purist and, you, you know, you start off and you're saying, no, this is all nonsense, but you don't really know that much about it. And the more you learn about it and you understand the underlying technology and its capability, it really is a fascinating world. So there's, you know, there's more than enough to keep me busy.
Mm, blockchain's interesting. Are you in the Nuru Rubini school, which says it's all a lot of bunk and a great fraud? Or, well, particularly he talks in that way about Bitcoin, not necessarily the blockchain. Or is there, is, are you in the Pitfulun field, which says you should have at least something in your portfolio because one doesn't know where it's going? Yeah, so I think that, uh, um, you know, I, I think that the the underlying uh, technology has incredible potential, and you know um, they talk about sort of this is sort of Web 3.0. So you know the Web 1.0 was sort of the 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 nineteen uh, the nineteen ninety nine period ninety five to two thousand sort of boom where you know the internet sort of came came onto the scene um, with a lot of hype and, and too much hype, um, and you know there was there was probably you know I don't know. Maybe there's 50 or 100 really great companies that uh, that came that were built in that era, um, but there was probably you know 10 times or 50 times that amount that actually failed. Uh, so there was a lot of hype and there was a lot of failure. Um, but certainly the hype was not misplaced. It was just the maturity of it and which business models and companies are going to succeed. Uh, you know, then we saw the Web 2.0, where you know what. They kind of refer to as the platform companies or the networking companies, the Googles, uh, the Amazons to an extent, and networking, you know, the effect of their, their global scale and networking capabilities. Uh, obviously, we've got Facebook, uh, you know, so so those companies uh, dominated the Web 2.0. And then the Web 3.0, you know, the big thing, as I understand it, about sort of, and, and people use crypto and blockchain inter- interchangeably, and I think, uh, the crypto has probably got a bad name uh, because it seemed to be speculation and blockchain underlying technology. You know, um, the big thing there uh, is around decentralizing of, of of this technology so that no one owns the technology. So you don't have sort of a winner takes all, you know, where you, where you might have, let's say, it's a, um, a Google that takes all. And there's examples of Spotify as an example where um, there was something on Spotify where uh, – most of the musicians are earning less than $100,000 a year. Um, so the vast majority of the spoils of, of, of sort of Spotify is going to the, uh, the, the owners, the shareholders of Spotify. And they would look to de- decentralize that and say, well, you know, let's, let's give the musicians, uh, the people that are contributing to it, a much greater share of this. And that also falls into sort of the sharing economy. Uh, and I think, I think there's an enormous amount of uh, potential you know, within within blockchain, uh, within the blockchain technology, but it's going to be like the internet, where there are a few winners, there are many losers. There's going to be fraudulent activity. You know, there's already been fraudulent activity, uh, kind of in crypto and wallets being stolen and hacked. And uh, you know, and unfortunately, that's not the technology per se. That's human nature. You know, we saw that in uh, in the technology boom. And I was an investment banker in those days. You know, and there was there was a lot of rubbish companies quite frankly that were being promoted by very prestigious investment banks and and the corporate financiers and analysts knew they were rubbish uh, and they were you know we even knew it was happened during the time uh but they still did it so it's not you know it's not as though this sort of fraudulent activity uh is reserved to crypto it's i think it's human nature so i think it's an enormously successful how you play it is very difficult because you know there's i'm not sure the number but there's several thousand uh uh, coins out there because almost for every blockchain technology, there's an underlying coin to support it. Uh, so there's a, you know, and there you're going to get once again, you're probably going to have something like a 90% plus failure rate. Um, so I think that uh, at, a, at a sort of a big picture level, I think it's a really exciting technology. 
I do think that people should be allocating probably 5% to maybe 10% of their portfolio to this in a in some kind of a diversified way. I haven't yet worked out myself how exactly to, you know, to do it. But I think the point is it's something that you shouldn't ignore. And we should all try and educate ourselves on on actually what it means. What is the underlying technology? What's really going on here as opposed to the hype about, you know, people are trading Bitcoin and there's, you know, and there's sort of 15 year olds, you know, making a lot of money and potentially losing a lot of money. Uh, you know, I think that's the sideshow, but there's really, uh, I think, a, um, uh, a revolution taking place uh, that will be incredibly exciting. So, you know, even if it's not as an investor, just just we should all be a little bit educated in, you know, what this technology is and what the potential is. Yeah, it's a whole new world that one needs to immerse oneself in. If you now look ahead to 2022, one hopes that uh, Omicron or Omicron, depending on how you want to pronounce it, uh, is another rev- another way that the virus is mutating to eventually live with human beings and us to live with it. Uh, and if, if that were the case, would that not be make for a well certainly make for a more normal world, but would it make not make for a perhaps better economic uh, performance from this country and around the world in 2022? And how high would you rate those chances? I think the chances are are high. Um, I think it was today there was a New York Times article. In fact, it was it was it was all about uh, fatigue that you know around the world. Uh, people have got uh, COVID fatigue. You know, we're just tired of lockdowns. Uh, we're tired of, uh, you know, uh, social distancing, uh, being deprived of livelihoods, being deprived of entertainment, uh, human contact, etc. Uh, and what they were talking about was, you know, the politicians uh, have to sort of balance, uh, you know, what uh, what what the politicians may believe is in the good in terms of lockdowns and uh, stringent. Uh, uh, regulations and controls versus the vast majority of the population that actually uh, have this fatigue and just want to get on with life uh, not irresponsibly you know but 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 return to a more normal life and i think what we're seeing with the omicron uh, variant uh, and and we've seen this from the kind of data that's emerging it's there's not enough data to be statistically significant but i think there's enough of a data to form a reasonable opinion and also anecdotally uh, is that uh, you know the infection rate is high but the severity uh, of that is very low, uh, and that's a really positive sign. So I think that uh, the combination of hopefully a less severe uh, virus and fatigue, uh, and also a lot of the data that says that uh, you know we know who's vulnerable, uh, you know lockdowns don't work. Uh, I think we will get back to a far more normal society, and that'll definitely, as you say, it'll definitely. Uh, result in confidence. It'll definitely result in opening up of borders of global travel, uh, less uh, uh, pressure on supply chains, which is a very big issue globally. Uh, so that'll definitely be very good for the economy. And also in South Africa, as a tourist destination, uh, you know, we'll be a big beneficiary of that. So a better year ahead in 2022. Well, it's always, you know, you've always got to separate the the kind of real economy, how we live things versus the financial economy. You know, and it's been a really challenging financial economy for South Africans. Uh, you look at the job losses. I mean, our unemployment rate is you know astronomical. Uh, there's been, uh, I mean, it's even hard to comprehend the numbers. But what have we lost? Probably uh, two million jobs, I think, since COVID. So, so it's been a really difficult year. We haven't, you know, we've had travel restrictions. Uh, we don't watch sporting events live. Uh, it's been a really challenging year. I don't think it's been a good year. Uh, for a lot of people, let's say economically and socially. Uh, but if you look at the stock market, it's been a great year. 
you know, the returns are up over 20%. The currency has been relatively stable. Uh, so your financial returns have been good. Your real world returns haven't been good. Uh, I think next year, the, the real world uh, returns are going to be much better. Um, you know, and hopefully the stock market in South Africa, you know, can continue to perform because, uh, you know, if there's a stronger domestic economy, then that will definitely help the local stock market. I think globally, uh, stock markets won't do as well in 2022 uh, as they did in 2021.